this is a good lead. And you're gonna, uh, we've said it many, many times, if you don't play well, and it doesn't matter if you're on the road or at home, if you don't play well, you're gonna get beat. And we almost got beat Thursday, we almost got beat today, but we didn't. This team has shown grit, it's shown toughness all year long, going back to double digit deficits in the second half in November and in December, overcoming those, winning games. We've had our share of blowouts, but you know, we've won a couple uh, one possession games, and you know that's what you have to do if you want to be where we want to be, which is top half of the league, competing for a championship. Hopefully, a bye on Wednesday at the Pac-12 tournament. Welcome in to a new Buff Stampede Radio. That, of course, was Tad Boyle talking after the Buffaloes win over Washington. What a heart-pounding 42-hour stretch in Boulder. Adam Munster Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com, here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Tyler, how are you doing? Uh, doing pretty good. Yeah, it's definitely a heart-stopping week in basketball. It's definitely huge wins, um, not just for who we were playing, really, but just because of the closing schedule. We really needed to get those wins when they were available for us, so... Big week for Colorado basketball, definitely. Ryan Koenigsberg and I talked about this after the Washington game. You kind of reflect on those two games, and it's really two shots that make the difference. If George yeah. King's three-pointer at the end of overtime against Washington State doesn't go in, we're talking about a disastrous home stretch. And if Andrew Andrews knocks in that jump shot at the buzzer, it looked like it was good for most of the way. Uh, that, that's a loss. So you're our fan correspondent uh, were you able to uh, keep your heart rate down during those two games? Well, so I was actually in the mountains for the Washington game, so luckily I think I would say I got to avoid that one and just got to celebrate when I saw the final score. Um, the Washington State game was brutal. That would have been a huge loss, um, a loss you just can't have at home. That really would have put us in uh, in some trouble in terms of making the tournament and in the Pac-12 standings too, so that game was tough. I mean, I I still don't know how George made that shot. I was pretty much resigned to the fact that the game was over at that point. Just such a low percentage shot, you know, like a fadeaway over a guy who's 6'10". It just, I still can't believe it went in. But, I mean, you take it at the end of the day. Sometimes you have to win those type of games. But, man, it was very close to being a disastrous stretch for Colorado, definitely. The fact that Josh Scott's not on on the court with them, I think you accept the fact there were no style points in those two wins. Oh, for sure, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, the end result is a 2-0 and finish, which you take without your best player. Um, but, I mean, the committee is not going to look at that if we had lost those games. They, you know, they wouldn't be like, oh, well, Josh Scott wasn't playing. That loss doesn't count. So it, it was important to find a way to get the win because Washington State would have been a brutal blemish on the, on the resume for sure. Wesley Gordon steps up in Josh Scott's absence, 16 points, 12.5 rebounds, and 4 blocks per game during those two home games. George King, 15.5 points, 9.5 rebounds, only one turnover in those two games. Xavier Talton plays 67 minutes during that homestand, only four turnovers. And Thomas Akizili, 19 points in those two games. He was averaging just 2.3 points per game in Pac-12 play. So those are the four guys that really stepped up during that homestand. Yeah, stand. definitely. I mean, I, I really... I feel the happiest for Xavier Talton because he's had such a rough stretch from the start of last year. Um, he's really played well the last, I don't know, two or three weeks, I would say. And it was at key moments for this program. I mean, he's a senior. He's finally playing like a senior. He's made a lot of big plays. So I'm just happy for him because in his younger days, I was really a huge fan of him. And he's just struggled so much in the past, too, that it was nice to see him actually, I think, kind of get his groove back a little bit. One guy that has struggled is Josh Fortune. 
I think if you've ever played basketball, I mean the highest level, the NBA, or the lowest level, which is what two on two in the backyard. Yeah, sure. Everyone's had that those moments where you make some mistakes and you start to press on on the court. Is that the situation with Josh Fortune, or is he simply now that the competition level has risen? Is that the reason he's not playing? No, well? I mean I really don't think it has anything to do with the competition level. You can see him thinking too much out there. He's kind of gone from being a really solid spot up shooter to a guy who's really trying to do too much on the court almost all the time. Doesn't have a great handle. He's dribbling too much, but despite that fact, he's definitely not a great passer. I mean, he makes every pass look difficult at times out there, which is so frustrating to watch. I mean, but he, the most frustrating thing for me is that he's passing up good looks to try to make all this stuff happen. Like, yeah, I feel confident in him shooting wide open jumpers. I always will. He's got a great stroke. He's definitely a more than qualified shooter. He doesn't need to be the creator. He doesn't need to try to do all this crazy stuff. He's finishing at the rim. He's always trying to do something special instead of just taking it up. He's a great athlete. He should be able to dunk more than, you know, trying to do all these crazy loop-de-loops and all that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been frustrating because he had such a great start to the year. Um, I'd just like to see him kind of get back to being that role player that we all expected from him and then just take those quality looks. Yeah, here's some numbers. Josh Fortune shot 43% from the field in non-conference play. He had a 2-to-1 assist-to-turnover ratio and was averaging 12 points per game against non-league opponents. In the 13 Pac-12 games, he's shooting 35% from, from the field, so down 8%. And he's got uh, twice as many turnovers as, as assists. So that turnover-to-assist ratio is completely flipped during conference play, and he's averaging 9 points per game. His free throw and, and three-point shooting percentages are also down. And uh, this past homestand, he made just one of 10 three-point attempts, and he had nine turnovers in those games. If you're Tad Boyle for a day, what do you what do you tell Josh Fortune? I mean, ideally, you would like Trey to be healthier because you could sit him down. I mean, I think that's really what you got to do at this point, kind of give him a different perspective of the game, put him on the bench. and I don't, I don't know what they're doing with him in the film room, but if it was me, I would literally just be like, you are open on this shot. Take it 100% of the time. I don't need you driving through traffic and trying to create for somebody else. That's not your game. I mean, that's that's kind of the big thing about a good role player to a guy who's just for frustration is knowing what you're good at. I mean, if, if he just sticks to the things that he's capable of, he's a great athlete. He could be a good weak side rebounder. Um, you know, at the top of the key, he's good. He's a good finisher, um, or at least he can get to the rim. I mean, I know he struggled in that Washington State game. He was two for thirteen, I want to say, but he did get fouled on like three or four consecutive drives down the stretch that got us to the free throw line and kind of, kind of settled Washington State's run a little bit. And in the end, we were able to win. So those are the type of things that he can do for you. You just have to kind of get into his head. Like we don't need all the, all the extra stuff. From you. I mean, we have other guys who can play that role. Just do what you do, and we'll be fine. Ted Boyle was fairly optimistic that they'll get Josh Scott back on the court heading out to Los Angeles this week. It's certainly not 100% that he's going to play. What are your thoughts about this going out? This team going out to LA? Obviously, any win on the Pac-12 at this point, you're going to take and be happy about. Mm -hmm. They have not performed exceptionally well away from the Coors Event Center. What kind of percent chance do you give the Buffs uh, to find a way to win at USC and at UCLA? Um, I get either one. I would say I'd break I'd them say down maybe individually. USC is going to be tough. That's a really good team. They're a tough matchup for us. Jordan McLaughlin's a guy that we have no one who can guard him. Um, they have a lot of three-point shooters. We struggle with that at times, um, and they have two really good big men, including a super long guy in Chimezi Metu, who's a freshman. So even if Josh is healthy, I have a feeling that he'll give him some trouble. 
Um, he, Josh always struggles a little bit with length and athleticism, and Metu's arguably the lengthiest and most athletic big man in the conference right now outside of maybe Jacob Potal. So um, that's just not a great matchup for us. They're a really good team. They have a lot of weapons. Um, and they haven't lost at home yet this year. They're 14-0 yeah. on their home court. Yeah, I mean, that's not a game that I would expect us to get a win. I mean, I put that at maybe like 15 to 20% chance, especially with Josh not feeling 100%. Um, UCLA, I feel a lot better about because you just don't know what you're going to get out of them. I mean, if Bryce Alford has a tough shooting night, they can lose to anybody. Yeah. So that's kind of my opinion on that. I mean, um, they're big guys are both pretty talented. I like Welsh and I like Parker, but Josh Scott matches up with them a lot better. Um, more similar skill sets there. And Wesley Gordon, I think, can attack them with athleticism, both of those guys. Um, outside of those guys on UCLA, I mean, they have a lot of talent, as you could say, from the recruiting rankings perspective, but I don't love a lot of their roster. So to me, UCLA is a team that we can win. They usually don't have a great home crowd. There's a lot of CU fans in the LA area, so usually we get a decent showing at both of those games. That would, that's one I'd put at closer to like 40% odds. Okay. So, you know, more, I would say if you combine them, it'd be like roughly a 50-50 proposition. But um, if they find a way to do it, that would be huge because, to me, one more win puts us in a pretty good position to make the tournament. Ryan Koenigsberg said after the Washington game he feels like Colorado's playing with house money going out to L.A. Yeah. Is that how you feel? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I almost feel like that on any road trip. To be honest, because it's unless just you're so, playing at Pullman or something like that, right, exactly, right. I mean, unless you're playing a team that's terrible in the conference, which yeah, this year Washington State is the only one. It's it's so hard to win road games in college basketball that anytime you come away with one, you have to feel really good about it. I know people were really disappointed in that Oregon trip, but I've said before. I mean, Cal got swept on that Oregon trip. So did Utah. So did USC. So I mean, obviously those are three pretty good teams as well. It, it's not the end of the world to get swept on a road trip. The only difficult part of it is that we only have two home games left, and one of them's against Arizona. So there aren't a lot of opportunities, or at least a good percentage of opportunities left to win games. So finding a way to get one would definitely be huge. UCLA did play well on that Arizona trip. They beat Arizona State by 12 points. They have a 10-point halftime lead mm -hmm. against Arizona on the road. They do they do end up losing that game by six, but... They they had like you said it, Bryce Alford basically they they go as he goes and, mm -hmm. and it's hard to predict exactly you know how he's going to shoot that night. I threw it out to fans for questions for both uh, this basketball podcast and a football podcast which we're going to release later in the week and we got some great questions from fans and uh, we're going to begin that with some talk of CU's tournament chances because I know that's what's on the forefront of, of every CU fan's minds. So let's jump into our mailbag here. You've got mail, 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 mail. You've got mail, mail. You've got mail. At Vince Balukak, he asks, what's the minimum number of games the Buffs have to win to make it into the dance, and will they do it? So basically, Tyler Ziskin is a junior Joe Lenardi here. You've got your spreadsheets. You do a great job every year kind of with the bubble watch and where CU stands. So... Kind of break it down for CU fans out there. Where where does this team stand right now? What do they need to do to assure themselves as, as a, you know for a, for a bid to the NCAA tournament? So the minimum is going to be one more win, however you can get it. Um, most likely that's going to be Arizona State at home. Um, that puts you in a position, according to projections, to have us at an RPI roughly 50, um, which is pretty bubbly, definitely. But at the same time, for a high major team to be left out in that scenario, it's only happened twice in the last four years. Um, UConn and Missouri both two years ago. Um, I will say 
both of those teams had multiple RPI top 100 losses, and or not not Utah and Missouri, uh, Minnesota, sorry. And Minnesota was under 500 in league play, which if we win one more game, we would be at 500. Mm-hmm. So under it's under 500 is not necessarily going to kill you, but it's usually if you're under 500 in league play, you do get left out more times than not. So our resume is going to be better. We play in the second best RPI league in the country this year. And also SMU and Louisville are both ineligible. And those are teams that are, if we finish 50th, will be ranked ahead of us in the RPI. So really you're sitting more like a 48. Um, I would put the percentage chance odds of getting in at that point at probably 70% with if, if we get one more win. Um, it depends on who we play in the Pac-12 tournament as well. There's a chance we'll need that extra win as well. Um, but to me, anything above that one win, and we're a 100% lock. We'll be mid-30s RPI. That's a single-digit seed in almost every scenario. Um, Colorado right now is 23rd in the RPI? 25th. 25th, okay. Yeah, after this morning they're 25th, which is 6th in the Pac-12, which is pretty nuts. Yeah. Um, but, twenty. I mean, 25th, they would be a 6 or a 7, maybe an 8, depending on how other teams finish up. But, yeah, if they, get, if they find a way to get two wins down the stretch, no matter who it is, who they lose to, they'll be mid-30s in the RPI. So what are they? They're at seven top 100 RPI wins, and then no yeah. losses outside of the top right. 100. Yeah, which is pretty unusual for the for a bubble team. I mean, I have now how many teams do I have in here now? 32 teams, and nine of them don't have an RPI top 100 loss, and that's including a couple of teams that have played their way well onto the field. Like Oregon is on this list, Utah, Texas, teams that are. Most by and large three, four, five seeds teams that have played themselves way yeah. off the bubble included in that nine as well. So they're in pretty good shape in terms of that. I mean, they don't. Not only do they not have a top one hundred loss, they don't even have a top seventy five loss. So um, some people don't think that that's a big deal, but the committee definitely likes that. They want it. They want to know that when you play top comp, that you're beating the teams that you're supposed to. It's a big metric for them in terms of do you deserve to make the field. So would they be right now looking at things an eight or a nine seed in, in your opinion? See you. Yeah, somewhere between a seven and a nine. Depending on what your preferences are for all the metrics, right? I mean, if you if you're a, if you're a guy that wants to see more top twenty five wins, CU doesn't look quite as pretty. Um, if you're a guy that doesn't want to see any bad losses, they're arguably one of the best resumes there are there is out there right now on the bubble. Um, so I, the one thing I will say, Cal is now in the top twenty five of the RPI too. So we actually picked up a top twenty five RPI win this weekend. So now we have two, which is a very safe number. Most teams don't have more than two on the bubble. So that's that's good. I mean, so if you're down the stretch, you probably want to root for Cal. If you're Colorado, even though they're in the same league and could potentially, I guess, steal a bid from you, they're in pretty good shape right now. That with Tyrone Wallace back, I think you can expect them to finish pretty strong. So if they do stay in that top twenty-five metric, that looks good for us. So for me, I would be rooting for them if I was a CU fan. I know going into last weekend, Joe Lenardi had seven Pac-12 teams in the field, mm-hmm. but now Washington has lost five of its last seven. Is it starting to look a little bit more like the Pac-12 will be a six-bid conference? Um, I would say six is probably the safest number for sure. There's definitely still, between UCLA, that was a huge win for them at, um, at Arizona State this weekend. If they could find a way to, obviously we don't want this to happen, but to sweep next week. CU and Utah, they'd be back at 500 in league. Um, they'd probably be mid 50s in the RPI, and they have a schedule that would allow them to finish above 500 in league. So and that's one of those programs that seems yeah, to get the benefit of the right, doubt. Yeah, uh, if they're if they're on the edge. Um, so to me, they're still alive. 
they wouldn't have been if they lost Arizona State, most likely. They're still alive right now. Um, and then Washington, to me, is still alive, too, because they've been they they're so much more talented than I guess their resume would suggest to me because they struggled a little bit early in the non-conference because you know they start four freshmen it's not really that surprising to me they have a couple brutal losses but it'll be interesting to see how they finish the year um, and then Oregon State too obviously is a team that um, depending on who you ask a couple people think they're safely in a couple people would say they're not even on the bubble right now uh, to me I don't know how you could say they're at least not on the bubble. They've been playing pretty well lately. They have a lot of good wins. So um, to me, those are the eight that all that still have a chance, more or less. I think six is probably the safest, but it just a, you know there's so, they, they still have to play each other so many times. It just depends on how it shakes out. I'd be really frustrated if I was a Washington fan. It seems like Lorenzo Romar, his teams regress as the season goes along. I, you, they, yeah, they they have a lot of youth. You would expect yeah. that to show more earlier in the season, and you you'd expect to see improvement out of. Yeah, them. I mean they have they so they're back at home this week, obviously. So they have a chance to kind of pick up a few. They play off Cal and Stanford this week, so important home games for them. Cal's a team that's really struggled at on the road uh, as compared to Washington has been excellent at home. So that's going to be a big one for them. I think if they can get the sweep this weekend, they'll be right back in the picture. All right, moving along. At Kenny underscore Jace on Twitter asks, is it worrying that the men's basketball team always lets big leads go? Well, the encouraging side of that is the fact they can get big leads. Uh, <laughs> you'd, yeah. be, you'd be really worried if, if, if that wasn't the case. Yeah, and I would say most of the time they do find a way to finish. Yeah. As, as well, which, I mean, is important. Um, yes, it is worrying. Uh, it's a big frustration point for me. If you follow me on Twitter, you know, because I hate how Tad Boyle refuses to stop runs with timeouts. Um, but I will say that it doesn't matter if you win by 15 or 4 or 1 at the end of the day. I mean, Ken Palm obviously thinks that it does. And it, it, does, it does, does a good job of projecting, like, how good you are as a program. But at the end of the day, you only have to win by 1. So... Um, it is frustrating to watch for sure. Uh, you'd like to see, you know, I know my heart would like to see a few more blowouts in yeah. conference play. Um, but at the end of the day, if the result says we won, I don't, I try not to stress on it too hard. Um, I, I do like that Tad has confidence in his guys to figure it out themselves, but there are times that I wish, you know, it's part of his job to be able to stop those runs and, um, you know, keep leads safe as well. So, there's, there's got to be a fine line there for me. I mean, I, I understand the mindset of it for him, but there there does have to be more times, in my opinion, that he does a better job of, of stopping those runs. All right. On the Stampede Elite message board, Buffs2JD asks, where's Tad Boyle going to go with the extra scholarship next year? Any bigs on the horizon beyond the Arvada West kid, Dallas Walton? Well, if Dallas Walton commits to Colorado, and right now I would put the likelihood of that happening at very, very, very high – and Xavier Johnson comes back, there is no extra scholarship. Mm -hmm. You've got, unless you have some type of other attrition, um, which, I mean, Kenan Guzanich, I mean, he's so young in, in his career here. I think you've got to at least give him another year to see what he can do this offseason. I know yeah, I mean, there was somebody on the message board that pointed out that maybe he shouldn't be brought back, but Tad Boyle has proven he's not the type of coach to run guys off. No, he's not. And I mean, I would agree that I don't think he's ever going to really do much here, but he is also coming off injury, so I'd be very surprised if they kind of gave him the boot. I, I don't think Tad Boyle feels desperate enough to do that right now, to be honest. This team is going to be very good next year, too. Um, people are going to be very happy with Derek White, from the sounds of it. Um, our guards 
are going to be the, the entire group is going to be among the best in the country next year. I really believe that. Uh, Will Whalen actually on Twitter the other day had a few tweets about him agreeing about that as well too. So um, I think people should honestly be pretty happy about where we sit going into next year. A lot of teams play small in college basketball. It's not unusual. You've seen us without Josh in the past two games and at the second half of Oregon State. It can be, definitely be effective. Um, I would like to see us get one body in terms of just being able to foul, honestly, and and stop another opposing big guy. You just sometimes have to have a big body out there. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's necessarily as important as having good guard play in college. I think that would put a lot of pressure on Torrey Miller to kind of step up Mm -hmm. his game, too, this this offseason. Yeah, I mean, I think he's done a good job this year. He's definitely made huge strides throughout his entire process here. The the one thing, he's he's awful in pick-and-roll defense, which is obviously something that you can exploit moving forward. Um, I know Tad's working hard with him defensively, but his offensive game has definitely picked up quite a bit. I, if he can stop taking those long jumpers and just you know focus on getting into the paint, I think that'd be the main thing for him. But yeah, I think next year he'll be a guy who's ready with Wes um, to make an impact for sure. And uh, just kind of going a little bit more in depth, I mean, I'm sure there are other guys that Tad Boyle and his staff are looking at for the late signing period, but again, I would be very surprised if Dallas Walton doesn't commit. Yeah. I talked to him a couple weeks ago. He made it sound like he's really kind of ready to commit, but it's kind of, I mean, this is a guy that came back from two knee injuries. Mm-hmm. He's having coaches like Purdue's head coach came out to watch him. I think he's just kind of letting this process play out a little bit, but uh, that, that signing period will begin in April, and I think by then he will be on the Buffs commitment list. What are your thoughts on Dallas Walton? Honestly, I haven't seen him since he's been back from injury. I know he was People were really high on him. He's definitely put on some good weight. Yeah, since he was then. he was so skinny back in the day that people were concerned about him being a high major guy. I think the one it's hard to say there's an upside to an injury, but it's he's been able to put on some weight, which I think is important because now now he's got the frame to be a high major big. Um, whether or not his athleticism returns enough, I guess we'll see. But like I said, just having a big body out there is almost just as important as anything else. It's so tough to find a Josh Scott. It's not a reasonable to expect to recruit somebody like Josh Scott. He's such an amazing big man. Like yeah. He's one of the best big men in the country. So that if that's your expectation for what you're getting out of a big guy, that's probably unfair. Um, I think Dallas Walton has a chance to be a contributor for this program, and that's all you can really ask for, he especially seems, this late in the cycle. He seems to have a pretty good skill set. The one thing I've heard from people that have seen him play a lot is that they think he should be more aggressive than he is. Um, and I think it's tough coming back from two knee injuries to play aggressive sometimes. Yeah. it's got, uh, We'll see if, if he – the further he gets away from the rehab process, if, if that changes a little bit. Let's move along here. One ALCD on the Stampede Elite message board asks – do you think Boyle will go after a graduate transfer center? And do you think adding a good center will let the Buffs compete for a Pac-12 championship? Again, well, a couple things here. One, we don't know if there's going to be a scholarship available for a graduate transfer center. And also, it's really hard to find quality big guys on the transfer market. Yeah, it, it is for sure. Um, I do think he should go after one aggressively, though, if, if there's a few out there. Um, it almost seems like it's easier to find a defensive and rebounding type of guy on the trans market than someone who's going to give you 14 a game. Um, and that would be great for us. Because, yeah, they don't necessarily need scoring on yeah, that guy. Yeah, exactly. You just want a defensive presence. Um, Josh Scott's a great defender. Um, obviously, you're probably not going to get the offensive side of the ball with him in a transfer because most of those guys are among the best in the country and they don't leave. And if they do, they're probably going to end up somewhere like Kansas or you know something like that. Yeah. Um, so to me, if you can find a guy who's – a game changer on the defensive side of the ball, you go after him very hard. Um, but 
again, if they don't find somebody that they like, I don't want them to just take a scholarship piece because you, you're looking for the, uh, the future, and I would really like where this team is headed, to be honest. All right. R.B. Boulder on the Stampede Elite message board asked, what is the future for Xavier Johnson, chances the Buffs have during the Pac-12 tournament, and next year's Buffs with and without Xavier Johnson and with new additions? So kind of a lot to absorb here. Starting with the, the future of Xavier Johnson, I wish I knew. Xavier yeah. Johnson doesn't like the local media. He doesn't really let us into his head yeah, what he's kinda, thinking. It's kind of funny. So he was in Blake Street a couple weeks ago, and he's an extremely nice guy. I have nothing against him personally, yeah. but he doesn't like us for no, some yeah. reason. Yeah, I just don't think he likes talking to people about his personal life. I don't even necessarily think it's the media. I just don't think he likes to have that kind of stuff out there. Like, he's a very awesome dude. Like, he'll talk to you, and he's a really nice guy. Has a lot of good things to say. But he doesn't like to talk about himself, for sure. I mean, you can tell right away if you ask him, like, how he's doing. He just moves on, really, to be honest. So I think it's more a lot more of that than um, anything else. I agree with you. I wish I knew what the, what the situation was. You would have to think at this point he's not playing this year. You would have to think yeah. that. Um, I, I will say that doesn't do anything to tell me whether or not he's going to be back next yeah. year or not. Um, so it's kind of an interesting situation there. Uh, he would help us a lot next year in terms of size because he's an undersized player, but he's a great rebounder and he's very long and I trust him to guard people in the post. So for me, he would help a lot of those issues with Josh Scott leaving. So I hope he does come back. Um, but he's got to accept that he's going to play the four defensively. I, I think I think they'll run a lot of four out with him on the court, which is fine. Yeah. Um. And, but yeah, he. I mean, he needs to post up a little more. I felt like he did that a lot more last year when he was healthy. He was a lot in the in the post a lot more than he had been in years past. But I think defensively, he's going to spend a lot of his time on the post, which I don't think he has a problem with. But he's he, I mean, he's a guy who can shoot threes. Mm -hmm. He's a guy you want to be able to shoot the ball too. Yeah. So you don't want to just stick him into the post. But I think he's going to play there more for sure. So I think he, he's kind of talking about. You know, the, the chances that the Buffs have in the Pac-12 tournament, I believe yeah. he's talking about this year. Uh -huh. uh, where, where do you go with that? I mean, it's tough to kind of really analyze that not knowing who they're going to match up against. Yeah, I mean, so uh, let's just assume that we do win one more because that's the most likely scenario, I guess I would say, um, in terms of projections. That's going to put you at like a 6 to an 8 seed in the tournament, um, right around 5. We'd be, we would be 9-9 nine and nine if we won one more game. So it depends on who you play. I will say you want to avoid Washington and you want to avoid Cal. Those are the two teams that I really feel like we don't match up very well with. Um, you probably wouldn't play either of those teams in the first round. Um, and anyone outside of Washington State really is not going to damage you all that much. So I guess I'd want to play someone that's not Washington State in the first round. Um, Stanford, I think, is probably the one that I really want to see. Uh, based on sitting in that projection, you you know they're going to be in that ten seed range probably. Um, so that's a team I feel really comfortable beating. And if we get past that first round, it really doesn't matter to be honest, because like I said, we're going to be in the tournament. Uh, but yeah, I mean it's all about matchups. I think they absolutely could make a run and make the finals, no question. But it just depends on who you play. And then uh, we'll kind of tackle the last part of his question here. Let's just assume Xavier Johnson comes back, and you've got White out there. Uh, I think the team's capability will be very similar to what this year's team is with Josh Scott, and it'll just be different. It'll be a different make. It'll be yeah, definitely. It'll be a different team. I think I think their ceiling is higher. Um, I think the expectations will obviously be higher uh, than what this year's group was. So that's a different 
mindset coming in as well. You know, like they've kind of been under the radar a little mm-hmm. bit this year to have 19 wins at this point in the year, and they're still not getting votes at all. You know what I mean? So they've kind of flown under the radar. Um, next year's team probably won't have that benefit. Um, I have very high hopes for them. I really love their guard play. I think Bryce Peters replacing Xavier Talton is, at worst, you're getting the exact same player talent-wise right away. Bryce Peters is a stud. He's going to help. Um, Waylon, again, on Twitter was talking about how that if he helps at all in the rotation next year, he's a special player, and I agree with that 100% because he's taking minutes from an established veteran yeah. who we know can help this team if that happens, which means he's a a very, very good player. Um, and Derek White, by all indications, is the best player on the team in practice many days. So, I mean, you obviously have an upgrade there as well. So, to me, I think there's going to be a lot of talent on the perimeter next year. There should be high expectations for what we can do. Griffin on the Stampede Elite message board asks, how do you view the future of CU basketball? This goes back to William Whalen's comments about how he views the program. Mm-hmm. Just wondered what you guys think. Now, William kind of broke down his philosophy on there being four tiers of college right. basketball programs. I'm not going to go. You should probably look it up. I can't even remember. Do you remember what thread that was on? Uh, I don't even know if he put it on Buff Stampede. I know he, he did. talks about yeah. it on Twitter. He did. I don't remember. I mean, I can try to put. Oh, it don't up don't worry about it. But so that's basically the premise. And he his theory is kind of Colorado is kind of in that third tier, trying to consistently get up to the second tier. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has the the philosophy that it takes a really long time to build a basketball program uh, to to reach you know those upper tiers. Definitely. I mean, and to be a tier one is a rarity. I mean, if you talk about, if you look at how he broke it down, and I agree with him, I think that's the right way to break it down. I mean, to be, this all started because someone was talking about how they were disappointed we weren't competing for Final Fours. And to me, it's like, that that's where the, the basic issue of CU fandom is. Like, if your expectation is for Colorado basketball to make Final Fours, you're going to be disappointed. Yeah. Making a final, I mean, he was going through the programs that everyone thinks of as so highly and going like to two final fours in 20 years and stuff. Like Maryland was on there and Arizona was on there too. And it's just like the final four is so hard to get to. There are 10 teams every single year that you expect to have a chance to make the final four. And to break into those 10 teams, you need to be good for 30 years. Chances are if Colorado goes to a final four, there will be sanctions following that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I don't I mean, think there's any way you could do it legitimately so lucky, without like, getting dirty and recruiting. I yeah, Bryce Peters is a great example of this. Somebody who is a late bloomer, like but maybe ends up being a lottery guy. Um, you know, it has to be someone like that type of talent needs to come to your program where you take that jump and then you need to get lucky. You need you need a couple of lower seeds to lose in the tournament in your side of the bracket. Or to win, I mean, on your side of the bracket. So you have a little bit of an easier path to get there, you know what I mean? It's just so unreasonable to expect that for a program that Tad Boyle has more NCAA tournament appearances than the program has in the last 50 years in his five years here. And you just have to remember that. We are what we are. This is the best the program has ever been. To be disappointed with that, to me, is frustrating. Like if you're disappointed with what we're doing right now, that's on you. It's not. There's no other way to put it, really. I mean... You should be stoked that we're winning 20 games every single year. It just doesn't happen. So I understand that you want to win more NCAA tournament games. Everybody does. But that doesn't mean you should be disappointed with what we're doing. Next question from Twitter, at Bromar04. What do the Buffs need to do to take the next step? NCAA hopefuls to guarantee in second weekend type expectations. And, you know, what do the Buffs do need to do to take that next step? I feel like 
Boyle has kind of put this program close to being in that situation of being potentially a Sweet 16 type team. But they, you talk about luck, having three or four years where you have a guy that leaves early for the NBA, mm -hmm. having last year with Josh Scott the issue, the year before with Spencer Dinwiddie in the knee. When you're recruiting guys that are between like 50 and top 150 guys for the most part, you're expecting those guys to stay in your program for four years. Yeah, for they're the not. Most part. They're not NBA guys. So when that's when that's not happening for a stretch, and you're having your best player get hurt, that's right. what's keeping you from taking that next step. I feel like if Tad Boyle kind of stays the course, and eventually they kind of get some of that good luck, that's how they take the next step. Yeah, I agree 100. percent I mean, we've had our best player injured three years in a row down the stretch. That's not something you want to see happen. We've played senior laden NCAA tournament teams the last two times we've been to the tournament. Not something you want to see. You don't want to play Illinois with three starting seniors that are all legit. You don't want to play Pittsburgh where their entire roster are seniors and 240 pounds and men when you're when you're most of your squad is boys. That's those are the type of things that you don't want to see. You want to get a UNLV, a team that had a good record but played in a weaker league, didn't have a great schedule that year, and um, didn't have any NCAA tournament guys. I mean uh, NBA guys on that roster. Those are the type of teams that you need to play. You need to play. Somebody like that, and then you need somebody to lose that's not supposed to, and you get a double-digit seed in the second round, too. Like Those are the type of things that needs to happen, things that happened to Stanford and Oregon in those years that they made the Sweet 16, and UCLA last year. So, I mean, it's, it's more luck than anything else, really. And, obviously, the, the one thing you want is NBA talent, which I don't think this team today has. So that's uh, a key piece, too. They're very deep, which helps, and there's more seniors than we've had in a few years, so that helps, too. Um, and then you have the rare case of a guy like Josh Scott, who's an elite-level college player, but just doesn't translate really to the NBA as a big man that well. So um, he's 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 almost a piece that you can say is NBA-level talent for for a college game. He's a guy you can rely on to win you tournament games, in my eyes. But you have to get a few of those NBA guys that can really take over games, like Spencer Dinwiddie was capable of doing when he was healthy, to really take that next step, in my opinion. And so I will say, kind of be careful what you wish for. If if you want Colorado to be the type of program that's recruiting these one and dones, I'll be honest. I, I enjoy a team where you you can, as a, a, a the fan base, can really gravitate towards a guy like Josh Scott for four years. Definitely, yeah. I mean, I, I will say. So you look at Cal, and they've gotten hot now, so it's going to work out for them. But let's say Tyron Wallace didn't come back, and they lose a couple games down the stretch they're not supposed to, and they are one and done in the tournament or don't even make the tournament, is it going to be worth it for them to have gotten Ivan Rabb and Jalen Brown, who are 100% gone and will be lottery picks? I mean, you look at, I mean, is Cal going to be good next year? I mean, they have a decent incoming class, but nothing like they had this year. I mean, they had, Tyrone Wallace is gone. They have Ivan Rabb and, and Jalen Brown gone. Like, they're going to be a middle of the Pac-12 team again next year. So I, yeah. if you have to kind of look at that and does it really matter for you. I mean, Colorado, without going too much into the research, I think is probably going to be projected to finish in the top four in the Pac-12 next year. Well, in three weeks from now, we're going to be in Las Vegas, Tyler. I can't yeah. wait. Yeah, I'm, I, not I, rough. I got my calendar. I'm Xing out the days. Nice, yeah. yeah this is a <laughs> big trip for me. We do it every year with all the boys. It's a lot of fun. If you've never gone, you are missing out on life, and I would recommend that you change that very quickly. What's your what's it's your favorite so aspect of, of Las Vegas? For this tournament or just in general? Well, here's the thing about Las Vegas. Unless you're just somebody that doesn't like other people and just wants to stay <laughs> yeah. in the house, there, there's something for everybody yeah, in Las no, Vegas. Yeah, I agree. It's, Vegas is awesome, man. It's, depending on who you go with, there's so many different ways to do it. Um, 
My best, my favorite part about this trip, though, is that there's three tournaments at the same time. If you wanted to, you could watch basketball all day long. There's got people running around in their, you know, in their fan stuff all day long. So you're sitting at a craps table with a dude from Washington and a yeah. dude from Oregon State and two dudes from Arizona, just you know, chatting back and forth and talking junk to each other <laughs> for four days. It's just a lot of fun, man. I, I really enjoy the atmosphere of Vegas this time of the year because it's, you know, it, most most people are in a great mood because they're in Vegas watching the tournament. Like most of it's jolly jabbering, you know. It's not, you know, people aren't trying to fight you because you're wearing Colorado <laughs> stuff. They're, you know, giving you a little jab about, you know, you're going to lose this game, you're going to lose that. And it's all fun nature. And it's, it, I love it. It's a great time. Well, I want to thank everyone that sent questions to us. These were some really good questions. Really gave us a – it gave me an easier time. I didn't have to spend a lot of time putting together a production plan. Obviously, we only talked about basketball on this show. We have a lot of football to talk about. And I wanted to kind of mix up uh, – kind of divide the show so that the fans that are more into football – kind of focus in on that topic on a different show. So look for a mailbag heavy football show later in the week. Again, uh, Adam Munster Tiger here with Tyler Ziskin, our fan correspondent. Enjoyed talking some hoops with you, Tyler. And uh, we'll, we'll do this again soon. Thanks for tuning in. Open up the champagne. Pop. It's my house. Come on. Turn it up. Uh. Hear a knock on the door and the night begins. Cause we've done this before, so you come on in Make yourself at my home, tell me where you've been Pour yourself something cold